There was a time when I could have looked down at that and, and saw the switch, but now I've got to move my belly out of the way. <laughs> you think you're running enough of these long distance events, you would. But here's the deal: like I probably burnt like I probably burned like 2,000 calories yesterday doing what I did. That sounds like a lot, right? But then I probably ate like 5,000 calories to replenish <laughs> what I lost. I can't lose weight for nothing. <laughs> Thanks again for the. Uh, Opportunity to be here and for taking care of us, feeding us, putting us up uh, while we're here and everything, and even bringing a cup of cold water. And uh, I appreciate all that, and it's been a joy to be here with you folks. I'm preaching tonight a message that I just titled Living in Paradise. Living in Paradise. And, uh, of course, we see that we're going to eventually come to Abram uh, for tonight, but... If you think about it, first of all, what paradise is, you'd have to go back to the Garden of Eden. Excuse me for that. And of course, we know in the Garden of Eden, they were. This was paradise. This is where the word paradise comes from. It's talking about the Garden of Eden, and this is where man was put in there. So let's go to Genesis one, verse twenty-six. And I looked up a while back. I did it, what we do in Sunday school a lot of times in Iola. And I think of it like Sunday school, so therefore school, you know, I'm thinking, well, let's just, you know, teach. We used to have segregated lots of different classes, uh, but now we just have one group that comes together. And what I've found to do, because some people have already talked about, man, how many times you preach per, per the week or whatever. Well, I've found ways to make it easier on myself. So one thing I do, a lot of times Sunday school, I'll do sort of a word study or a study on a certain theme that's going to help me with other messages that I'm preparing or whatever. So they kind of get, those who show up for Sunday school kind of get like an, an insight into some of the studying that I put into for uh, for the message, you know. And sometimes, like, there's some things that didn't make it in the sermon, kind of like you call it deleted scenes. <laughs> I don't want them to go to waste, so I'm like, at Sunday school, hey, we'll talk about we'll talk about those. And so, uh, so recently, I was studying on paradise and what that means, and I looked up. And, okay, and so here's how I usually do a word study, for instance. I, I'm not big on going back to the Greek and the Hebrew because I, I don't know that, you know, I'm just taking man's word for it because I don't know Greek or Hebrew. And so what I try to do is I will study the etymology of the English word. You know, and usually you can go back pretty close to where 1611, you know, at least 1828. We all got one of those uh, dictionaries in our, our preacher's library. <laughs> but uh the, uh, you know, the best thing to do, I believe, is look at all the times in the Bible where that word is used and then compare those and then just kind of like you just find out when you start studying that it just lead, one thing leads to another and you get a really good definition of, of what that is. In the lesson, I first started out with looking at the etymology of the word paradise, like the English word paradise where we get that word. And I was kind of surprised the definition you can Google it yourself and, uh, and and check me out on this, but the definition is basically like a beautiful walled city. Like for some reason that wall, walled part is 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 important. You know, and a lot of times it's like a walled garden or a walled uh, uh, orchard. You know, where there's lots of trees and and all that, and that makes sense in the context of what we're reading, and it makes sense if you look at paradise in heaven. And there's a walls around it, and uh, and it, it kind of makes sense, okay? But when you get back to when you start in Genesis and you're reading about this paradise that God created, and He put Adam and Eve in there, you find out this is what it looked like. 
he talks about the creation right after the creation of the world and all the animals. And he says that man's going to have dominion over the fish and the fowl and everything that moves on the on the earth. Right. That's verse. Uh, that's Genesis one, verse twenty six through twenty eight. And I think about that. Like, I don't know how many animal lovers are getting. Who's all uh, pretty? You know, you love animals. Pretty well, not very many. OK, not very many people in here love animals. I understand. <laughs> how many people like to hunt animals? <laughs> okay, there we go. I like animals. I don't like pets in my house, okay, let's be honest, but I do like animals in nature. If I'm going for a run on the trail and I see a deer, I love it. Even, even do you guys say coyotes or coyotes? Coyote, okay, I'll stick with that. Coyotes on the trail, <laughs> and uh, I like that. I mean, they sound creepy at night, but I like to see those. I like to see when we were on the uh, the canal trail yesterday, I saw something. I don't know. I thought it was a beaver or something like that. You have mar- marmots, I think they're called, or mar- marmots. I don't know what they're called. It looked like a big old, maybe it's a muskrat. I'm sorry. I love animals, but I don't know what they're called. <laughs> and uh, and so I love animals. But think about this. Like, I, okay, I like going to zoos. Don't you like going to the zoo, right? Yeah, you, you, it smells pretty bad for a while, but then you can go home, right? <laughs> but can you imagine living in just a giant zoo made up of all the animals that existed on the earth at that time? Right, and they're all in this one place, and you get to have dominion over them. You're, you're, you know, you're making the cages and you're training them and all that. I don't know what all Adam and Eve did, but uh, they didn't have very long. I know before they got kicked out of the garden. But, but I'm thinking about this like giant zoo. And when you go to zoos, by the way, don't you notice how uh, beautiful the trees are and the landscaping and all that? And I'm thinking, man, that would actually be a pretty cool job you know or a pretty cool place to live and god gave you that job to do and to make i like that anyway i like the idea kind of goes back to my sermon this morning like gardens sound good landscaping all that sounds good till you start doing it and realize how much work it is and by the way i believe that god made man to work before the curse i think there was work to do in that garden he was going to keep it and uh, and dress it and all that was going to take work there's no doubt about it work's not a bad word okay but the problem is after the fall, the work got tougher, right? It was cursed, and, and, uh, and he was going to, like, you know, labor by the sweat of his brow and everything. But in this garden or big giant zoo or whatever, uh, we see also that there were uh, fruit trees, right? Obviously, we know the, the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, and there's tree of life, and, and there's all kind of manner of herbs for them to eat. Look, verse 29 and 30. God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree, yielding seed to you it shall be for meat. And he's like, you know, you can eat. I know probably not very many people here are vegetarians either, but, you know, if you had just a perfect vegetarian diet and you had all these good foods and trees everywhere, and, and, uh, you know, this this sounds pretty cool to me. Uh, You see that there was water pure water just running through the middle of that. And uh, chapter 2, verse 6 talks about that. Uh, there went out a mist from, uh, mist from the ground to water the whole, fa- uh, 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 the whole face of the ground. I was getting mixed up. That's not talking about the, the river. That's later. But this is just how God watered everything. You know, you didn't have to make sure that the water and just pray for rain and all that. But God just took care of that. Mist came from the ground. Everything was perfect. It talks about the, uh, uh, look at chapter 12, verse 2. I mean, chapter 2. Verse 12, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, and the gold 
of that land is good. There's Bedellium and there's Onyx Stone. And the name of the second river, this is talking about the different rivers, uh, is Gihon, the same as that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel. Uh, this is that which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth is Euphrates. And God, uh, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And you see that he also gave him like gold and precious stones. And I'm not really big on this. Like I don't have a whole lot of experience with this, but I know my kids played this this game called Minecraft. Anybody familiar with that? I'm not promoting it or whatever, but <laughs> but Minecraft was this game where, and I only ever played it in create, creative mode, if you ever know what that is, but they basically would just create this world, right? And there's like these little blocks. And this goes again with my message this morning too. Like it looks so cool to have your own world and create your own world. And you go and you, you get all your precious stones and all this, and you can create these buildings when you're sitting down on the couch on a video game. <laughs> but you have to actually go take a shovel and a pickaxe and, and get those precious metals out of the ground. That's a lot of work, right? But, uh, but I was thinking about this. Like, he has all the resources that he needs, and he's got everything. It's just perfect conditions. Remember, this time the ground's not cursed, you know, so everything is, uh, is, is like, cooperating with him. And, uh, and this is paradise. And then to make it even better, once again, reference to my sermon this morning, he said, you know what, I'm also going to give you a mate. I'm going to give you Eve to be a help meet for you, and I'm going to give you children. Now, we don't see the children right away, but chapter uh, 4, well, he does say have children and be fruitful and multiply. But in chapter 4, we find he gives them children. Adam knew, his, uh, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she uh, again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, I know this is after they had been kicked out of the garden, but, you know, I think that the idea is that they would have had children anyway, and those children would have helped them with the work that was supposed to do. you got one that's taking care of the animals, one that's tilling the ground and, and all that. And so, man, Adam and Eve are living in this perfect paradise. But I, I believe that since men got kicked out, of, since mankind got kicked out of, the, uh, out of paradise, it's always been in our heart and in our soul to want to get back to paradise. You know, and you see that as you read the Bible. I think you find out they're wanting to get back to paradise. They want this land, you know, this promised land, this precious land uh, that they're going to have. And so you follow in the Bible and you see man, mankind's corrupted and there's all this wickedness. And, of course, there's a godly seed that's just trying to do right and they're trying to live for the Lord. And they keep. it seems like they keep getting promised that they're going to have a promised land. And they uh, uh, are trying to follow you. You keep on reading. You get to Noah. All right. The whole world's wicked. What does God say? I'm going to restart everything. He gets in the boat, right? And he's got all these different animals with him on the boat. And he's got all the feed and everything for the animals. Now, I don't think that was paradise, okay? It was walled. And he had all the animals in there. But I don't think being on a, on a boat with stinky animals is paradise. But, uh, but when he got off of the ark, he had an opportunity to start paradise, right, all over again. And he's got all the animals, and he's got all this, and I, I feel like that was the thought, you know, like, hey, paradise, this wonderful uh, uh, opportunity that I have. And we keep following the, the story, and, of course, you know, everybody's wicked again. God calls Abraham in chapter 12, and he promises, he makes a promise to him. What does he promise? 
the, the Canaan land, the promised land, right? And I don't know if he knew exactly what that was going to be like, but he's like, just follow me. And when you get there, you're going to be blessed. All your offspring is going to be blessed. You're going to be in that land. Now, I want to talk about what this paradise was, because we know from Hebrews 11, and I'm going to go there in a minute, that Abraham was looking for the city by faith, right? But all I, all I know is he, he knew that God made this promise to him. No doubt he wanted to have this paradise again, everything restored and, and, and in the perfect condition. He wanted that again. So let's look at Abram's paradise and I'm going to start with looking at it from a carnal perspective. Okay, we've already, that's mainly what we've been talking about, right? We've been talking about the trees and the, the animals and all that. Well, let's look at Abram's paradise from a carnal perspective. First of all, we see in Genesis chapter 12 that it, it, it appears to me that he's pretty late in life before he leaves the home, so to speak, right? He's kind of with his his dad, and uh, I don't know to what extent what all he possessed and, and what his family was like at that point, but verse 6, chapter 12, verse 6, and Abram passed through the land unto the uh, place of, let me see, am I right? Yeah. Unto the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, so the first point I was trying to make is that simply he he, he didn't leave the house until he was, he was uh, 75 years old, we see there in verse 4. Abram departed uh, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. And I'm hoping that my kids will leave the house a little bit sooner than 75. But 75, he's with his uh, parents, and, you know, I don't know uh, what all he did, but God says, you know, leave your country and leave your kindred and go from your father's house and I will make you a great nation, okay? But as soon as he gets to the promised land that God told him to go to, right? He doesn't know what it is, but he gets into this land. He's just following it. Look at verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of, of Sikkim, unto the place of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from this unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed uh, going on still toward the south. Then we get to verse 10. What's it say? And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. That doesn't sound like paradise. There's a famine. Nothing's producing. It's dry. There's no water. You know, if everything's drying out. This is the place God told him to go to. This was that supposed paradise that he was supposed to be living in, right? And then we find out not only that, but God's saying, hey, I'm going to bless this. Your, your offspring, you know, your children, future generations are going to inherit that land. They're going to be in that land. Only one problem. Abraham's getting older and older and older, and he still doesn't have any children, right? Where's the paradise? Where's the family to share it with? He doesn't have any children. Now, he does have a household, and here's an interesting thing, another word study for you. If you research the word, again, English word, the etymology of the English word, what does, how, I mean, what does family mean? What you'll find out is family 
the word is related to, you can check this out yourself, you can Google it right now if you don't trust me. The family is related to servants. What do you mean servants? Servants aren't family. Family is like father and the mother and the children. But the original word had to do with with servants because the idea was a lot of families had servants. And it was talking about another word that we would use in the Bible is household. Okay, so all his souls, as it talks about in in Genesis uh, uh, 12, Abraham has all his souls, right? He's got all these people that are living in his house. And it reminds me of in the New Testament several times uh, they talk about, uh, you know, like Stephanus and, and all in the church that is in his house, you know, or others are, you know, the uh, elders and, and the church that's in their house. And so, like, you know, I don't know who all that encompassed, but sometimes they had several servants. They had, you know, maybe a couple families lived together or whatever. And it was like one big household that worked together for a certain cause. And and uh, and so this is what Abram had. But he wanted he wanted his own children. Of course, we know that he messes up and, and he takes things in his own hands or his, his wife recommends her, her handmaid, you know, for him to bear children with. And obviously that was a big mistake. Abram's not perfect, but he doesn't have children. He's going to this land that's supposed to be the promised land. And now it's, 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 they're in famine. You know, he's, he's traveling around and, and he's got a lot of riches, but he's still roaming around. In fact, we find out and look at verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 3. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and High. He's still living in tents. <laughs> I mean, I think you're going to live in a place, paradise. You think you want a house, right? But he's got tents. This is like a, you know, they're, you're going to pack it up and you're going to move it whenever you need to move. He's what, he hasn't even settled yet. He's just got this temporary dwelling place which is a tent. Chapter 18 says the same thing. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them for the, uh, uh, from the tent door and bowed himself toward, uh, toward the ground. So you see that he's living in tents all these years, and uh, and that doesn't sound like paradise. But of course we know that the city that Abram was living in and the and the spiritual blessings that God was promising him weren't actually carnal. They weren't actually the physical inheritance that he would get. They're actually there's more of a spiritual application. So let's look then at Abraham's paradise if you will from a spiritual perspective. Anybody know where chapter I'm going to go to? Hebrews chapter 11. just want to see if you're listening. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. Another name for a tabernacle is tent. uh, Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city 
which have foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one uh, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the sea shore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. This is a totally different type of city that God's promising. I don't know that Abraham understood that entirely. But this is a city, you know, not built by hands. This is a city that was promised that he's looking forward to, a heavenly city, which we know is one day going, there's going to be a physical city. And I think in the millennium, that's going to be like, I know we'll have our glorified bodies, but I think that's going to be a time where we actually do get to enjoy the physical blessings of paradise. You know what I mean? All that we hope to the hope to have as far as paradise goes, we will receive that one day. There's no promise that you're going to live in paradise while you're on this earth. You know, because all, I mean, how many times have you heard Genesis 12 referred to as the blessings of Abraham? You know, I'll bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And in you, in thee shall all the nations be blessed. Hey, we know that's talking about Jesus Christ. And the whole world's blessed by, the, by the, the, the seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with whenever Abraham was on here. I remember a guy uh, I was listening to, uh, oh, what's his name? I can't remember. I can't remember his name. But anyway, he, a well-known pastor, uh, Jeffries. Jeffries, something Jeffries. Anybody ring a, ring a bell? Huh? Jeffers. Jeffers, that's it, Jeffers. It's kind of like Jeffries. <laughs> Jeffers. Sounds like someone was supposed to say Jeffrey, but they messed up. <laughs> so Jeffers uh, uh, went out to Israel, and he was asked to. This is when Trump was like uh, declaring that Jerusalem would be the, the capital of Israel. Of course, all these independent Baptists were like, "Hey, man, what a wonderful you know fulfillment of prophecy!" And and, uh, and so they they went there, and, and they had all these guys these these guys get up and, and pray. And there's of course a rabbi that gets up and prays and all this. Then they had Jeffers, and he gets up and he prays, and he starts praying, and he's like, he's like, Lord, you said in your word, you know, when Abraham first left his nation, you said, you know, in thee shall all the nations be blessed. And I'm thinking, ooh, he's right in front of all these Jews. He's going to give the gospel. And he's like, and indeed, we have been blessed with the Jewish people. And we, a lot of these Jewish have, have uh, received Nobel Prizes, and they've given us this, and they've given us that. And I'm like, I mean, my mouth got so big. I'm like, where is he talking about Jesus? Yeah. Jesus didn't come up. The blessings of Abraham were, and he's talking about all these physical blessings. And I'm like, the blessings of Abraham were Jesus. <laughs> the seed of Abraham is us, right? <laughs> the believers. 
And guess what? We're not even enjoying the physical promise yet, but we will one day. And this is uh, that's the true paradise. That's the real paradise that's yet to come. And so he traveled on this earth in tents and in times of famine and without even having children up until he was 100 years old. And so uh, so that what we would perceive as paradise wasn't really there. But you know what? He did have a spiritual paradise. Once again, this makes kind of goes with my message this morning that when we go through tribulation and trials and all that, we can still enjoy it. We can still be blessed while we're going through this time because we have the Lord. And look at uh, you're in uh, Hebrews 11 still. Look at verse 8. What does it say? By faith. He sojourned in the land of promise. You know, Abraham was in, co- in good company with guys like Abel and Seth and Enos and Enoch, right? All these guys that had gone before him. Noah, righteous men, men who, who were part of the faith. Look at Jude. Or actually, go to uh, 2 Peter first, first of all. 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and here's who he's writing to, to them that have obtained like precious faith, right? We're part of that. We're part of the same promises that Abraham was given that promise. We're part of that because we've obtained like precious faith. Look at Jude. I forgot to read that whole passage, but that's okay. Jude, and look at verse... uh, Three, Jude 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I, uh, I remember this a pastor, I don't know if a lot of people would know him around here, but he was really big many years ago in Kansas and Oklahoma, uh, in Oklahoma and in Missouri, and his name was uh, uh, Art uh, Art Wilson. And anybody ever heard of Art Wilson? No, okay, uh, preacher from you know many many years ago. But anyway, he I remember I would listen to him preach, and he's one of those guys he could really keep your attention, like while he's preaching, like he could, he could preach for two hours, and when he's done, you'd be like, oh, he's done already. Not like me, <laughs> okay, but, but he was a he was a really good preacher. Oh, he lived to be a hundred and something, and I remember he preached and. I remember he'd preach on Jude and he would say, when you read this verse, don't say, you know, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, like I just read it a minute ago. He said, you've got to read it like, the, like this, that you would earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. He was like, there's one faith, you know, and he's talking about like all these other people, uh, you know, claim to believe in the same God, but they're not part of the faith. And he's talking about that. Well, look, we're in Christ and uh, if you believe in salvation right, and you understand that it's through his righteousness that you're saved and have eternal life, we're part of the faith, man. We've obtained like precious faith. We are re- recipients of the promises that were given to Abraham and the promises uh, that were pr- fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And in the you know kingdom to come, we have that uh, those promises, and Abraham had those promises as well. We know that on this earth temporarily, go back to Hebrews 11, we know that we're laying up treasures in heaven. 
Okay, it said he looks for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. In verse, uh, I keep getting lost. Verse 16, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Right? And so we understand that he's, t- he's thinking about the treasures that are in heaven. And this is what Jesus told his disciples. He says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Look, it's so easy to get in the flesh and think about the carnal and be like, well, man, I've got to have the property and I've got to have the nice uh, land and I've got to have this. And, you know, my next door neighbor just got this nice new truck and I got to get a truck like he's got. And, and we're trying to just constantly live our life in the flesh. And look, some of those things are just fine and we're, we're allowed to enjoy certain things that God's given us, blessings. I understand that, but we don't get dis- distracted in that and make that our paradise on earth. We need to look at spiritual blessings and lay up our treasures in heaven for something that's going to be a far greater reward that's yet to come. You know, we need to look for that just like uh, just like Abraham did. He also had the blessings, and we have the blessings, of watching God perform miracles in this life. Do you ever think about that? Like, like there's there's the type of Christian that like lives his whole life just like grumbling and complaining and oh life is so tough and and I don't know it's hard to live the Christian life and and I don't understand why the uh, lost people are 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 prospering and even though they live wickedly and and people have this mentality the Bible talks about people that have that mentality and then there's the other Christians you know that are just looking past all that kind of stuff and think wow God's good you know we have a guy in our church who uh, uh, he's just been in a lot of wrecks, and uh, and there's like deer in Kansas. I don't know how your deer are up here, but there's like deer. I I talked to an uh, we hit, we totaled our church van when I hit a deer a while back, and I talked to the officer that came. And I said, "How often do you come and uh, and and deal with with this situation?" He said, "He said one at that during that time of the year. He said one to three a day of people whose cars are getting totaled." By deer, and I'm like, there are actually people out there trying to trying to limit hunters from being able to hunt deer. And I'm like, man, just call people to your state, say, hey, we'll give you money. The insurance company should get behind this and be like, hey, we'll give you money if you'll come out and shoot some deer, <laughs> right? But uh, uh, what in the world was I? Where was I going with that? Why was I talking about shooting deer? Nobody remembers. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Okay, so there's this guy in our church, and uh, and he's hit like five deer in the last like year and a half, totaled three cars. He also drives very very fast. <laughs> but here's what he says: He's like, I've been in these wrecks where I swerved so I didn't hit a deer. I've rolled my car several times, and he's like, all five times I've got up and I've walked out without a scratch on me. And he's like, man, God is good, and He must have a plan for my life. I'm gonna do great things for God. I'm like, man, that's the way to look at it. But you know what? Some Christians would be like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know why God hates me. I don't know why I keep wrecking these cars. <laughs> Whereas a Christian is like, you know how many people would have died from that? But God is good, and he's got something for my life. And when a Christian lives in that, that mindset, and he thinks about the miracles and the blessings that God gives him, the, the provisions, you know, what a different life that you have. Even while you're going through this, this life, this physical life, which might be hard, might be full of trials, but you're looking for a heavenly city, but at the same time, you're also enjoying how marvelous God is right now. Because really, you know, the Bible says in the book of John that the kingdom of God is within you, right? 
And I think the application there, someone could correct me maybe, but I think the application is that, hey, you know, you're not in that physical kingdom yet, but Jesus Christ is the king in your heart right now if you're a Christian. You don't have to wait till you're in the millennial kingdom. He rules and reigns right now. Now, he's not the God of this world. Satan's the God of this world. We understand that. But if you're a Christian, you're, you're in the kingdom, spiritually speaking. You're just not there physically yet. So while you live in the spiritual, you're like, well, I don't see the treasures. I don't see the rewards. But you're like Abraham just passing through this land. You're like, well, it, but it's coming. I know it's coming someday. And you know what? All of a sudden, you're not greedy. And you're not covetous about the things of the world because you're like, I don't really care. You can have it all, right? My treasures are in heaven. And so you know, all of a sudden, those things don't mean that much to you. But there are some people who have a hard time with that concept. They want everything now. They want the physical blessings now. And they're not thinking about just laying up treasures in heaven. But what an amazing adventure to watch God work in your life. Uh, just, just real quickly, I became a pastor three years ago in Iola. And when I took over the church for the last year or two, a lot of people had been leaving the church. Okay, there's different problems, different problems. Uh, uh, I won't even get into any of the issues, but uh, you know, no, nobody had done anything immoral or anything. But people had left the church and they weren't happy with certain things. And it was kind of like hard to watch your church that once was running a hundred, you know, or something in a little town, but it's just like lots of people, and then all of a sudden it's dwindling away. And uh, and you know, I took over that church, and like nobody is going soul winning. You know, we were hit and miss ourselves, and we were like, you know, just hard to get the motivation to go as just our family, and, and I'm, we were trying to pick it up. We were trying to go soul winning more, and, and I remember just thinking, you know, if this is going to grow, like if our church is going to ever make it, you know, we got a handful of people in their 70s, 80s, 90s at that time. We had uh, uh, just like a lot of older folks, hardly any younger folks. I was like the youngest one in the church, you know, and well, my kids, but, and so uh, uh, it was hard to watch that. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know, I'm going to be the pastor here, but what's going to happen in the next few years? You know, how are we going to how are we going to go anywhere? And I remember thinking, Jesus said, you know, I will build my church. Gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he said, pray for laborers. And so I began praying, Lord, send us laborers. Lord, send us laborers. You know, and it's it's kind of funny how how it happened. This is my experience. I don't consider myself new IFB. You know, I told the guys when we started church, like, I'm not starting to. Pastor Anderson Church, because at that time that's pretty much what New IFB meant, you know, and and uh, and but I but I I was glad that I had a friend in Pastor Anderson. He was a friend of mine, and and uh, he made a video that it was actually the first potluck that we were going to do, the potluck 100. He made a video saying, "I have my friend, Pastor Rocky Randall, in Iola, Kansas," and I was like, "Oh man, now everybody's heard about our church. <laughs> God's going to send us laborers, right?" The next day, a lady comes in, 81 years old, and she's coming in. I think she was, now she wasn't in the walk around that day, but she comes in shuffling her feet real slowly, 81 years old. And I had just preached for the first time my position on the, uh, on, on the end times, right? My position on the rapture and, and, uh, and uh, pre-wrath view and everything. And I preached that in Sunday school, and I was really concerned that, some people weren't going to like this because I had already had some preacher friends that had distanced from me for changing on that view and everything. And I'm like, Lord, who cares? Like, I'm losing friends. You know, nobody seems to really 
want this work to succeed and all the members have been leaving and everything, but I'm just praying that you'll send laborers, right? And I'm thinking, well, maybe he's just going to send me laborers through this connection. And uh, this one lady comes in, 81 years old, and she sits down and she sees on the board where I've written some of my notes about the uh, uh, rapture and everything. And she's like, you're not teaching pre-trib, are you? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Do you believe in pre-trib? And I was like, that's funny that you asked that because I just preached a Sunday school lesson. And she was like, yeah, I saw those writings up there. That's why I wondered. I said, hey, how'd you hear about our church? And she says, you know, I was watching YouTube and I heard this guy, Pastor Anderson, that I listened to. And he said, my friend, Rocky Randall, who lives in Iola, Kansas. And she was like, Iola, Kansas? And she was like, I didn't care what I was doing. I was going to go. And it turns out that she wasn't going to church anywhere, but she was just listening to Pastor Anderson online as she came. And I was like, not really what I had in mind when I was praying for laborers. But, you know, Miss Sally's been a huge blessing to our church. And, uh, and she's really just been a blessing, been there uh, uh, for, for a while now. She came back that night. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time. But anyway, she came back that night, and she tripped at the door and broke her shoulder. I was like, well, she's never coming back. But anyway, long story short, she's still coming to this day and loves our church very much. Brought in a few of her her friends and, and people have come and become members since then, and, and uh, she's gone soul winning with us several times, and so, so what a blessing. But I'm like, okay, God, let me be more specific. <laughs> I'd really like to have some young laborers <laughs> that'll go out and knock on doors with us and ready to, to get busy. And then, of course, you know, you already know I started to work up in Kansas City. I ended up making contact with some guys uh, that were into soul winning, very like-minded in, in, in many ways, and, and uh, just a blessing. We got together for lots of fellowship and everything. We ended up starting that work, and I'm like, wow, this is all God. I didn't do any of this. You know, if I could build a church by my own efforts, I know myself, and I'd be like, well, <laughs> yeah, see what happens when I become pastor. You know, everybody's, but I can't take credit for any of it. All I was doing is praying, and God started putting people together. You know, and so uh, there's some other things I'm praying about, and I keep seeing just little by little uh, you know, God's fulfilling those. So then I'm thinking this, like, okay, now I'm the old guy in Kansas City. You know, I'm 43 years old. You know, my oldest, my, my youngest kid was 15. And I was like, you know, what am I, what do I know about raising kids? And here I got these young people. I got these families. What do I know about raising kids? And then guess what happens? I get a baby in my old age. <laughs> in fact, we had some missionaries come one time and, uh, we were telling them about that. Valerie was expecting a baby and, uh, and the missionary told her son, hey, yeah, you know Miss Valerie is getting ready to have a baby? And he leaned over to his mom and said, that's kind of like Sarah and Abraham. <laughs> I kicked him. and No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what? I think of our, our baby, Viviana, as a, as a miracle. I mean, I realize I'm not, obviously, I'm not, my wife's not 90 years old and past the time. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, we didn't think we were going to have any more kids. And, and I won't give you all the details how that came about, but I know that God said, hey, you're going to lead some families now, and they've got kids, and they need to see you going through that, and you need to go through that so that you can be able to minister to them. And you know what? Living the Christian life and following God is such a blessing. I don't know how anybody could just decide to walk away from that. I see it happen all the time. How could you walk away from that? Well, it's just too hard. But it's not hard. It's enjoyable, and it's fun to just watch how God works for you and whenever you think, man, I don't know what's going to happen next, well, just keep on praying and keep waiting. You're going to see God provide for you in a miraculous way. And you're like, man, like I'm in paradise. <laughs> you're not in paradise physically yet, but, man, I feel like spiritually sometimes 
I'm in paradise, and this is a this is the a big blessing that Abraham got to experience. Now go back to Genesis 13. We read this as our text. And so this last point is just more of the conclusion. But I want to look at Lot's paradise. Genesis chapter 13. You know, Abraham wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes. We get to see the the truth of his mistakes, the reality that nobody's perfect. But, you know, he was light years ahead of Lot spiritually. (laughs) But look at verse 8, Genesis 13, verse 8. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. He was actually his uncle, but that was, you know, that's the way that they talked back then. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, this is just a reference of when he's writing this. And so he's saying, uh, the plain of Jordan, before the Lord, I mean, sorry, uh, even as the garden of the Lord. You know what that's talking about? Paradise. So Lot looks over, he said, oh, I get to make a choice. And he looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah and he says, man. That's like paradise right there. Look at the lush grass. There's water over there. I can feed all my cattle. It's a beautiful land. Everything uh, looks great. And he says, uh, it's this like the, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. At that time, Egypt was very bountiful. As thou comest unto Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceeding. You know, Lot chose paradise, okay? But he ended up living in such a wicked environment, a wicked city. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse uh I don't know what verse it is. It says, and he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He chose paradise. That's it, man. I need paradise. And he's thinking all physical, what he wants. But what he doesn't realize is he goes to this place and it's just full of wickedness. And every single day of his life, his soul is just vexed with the unrighteousness and the wickedness. Now, it's his fault. He chose it. He knew the situation. And he didn't have to get so close with them. And we see that he gets closer and closer and closer. But he he didn't have to do that. But he chose the physical and lost the spiritual. You know, I realize that we live in the world. Kids are going to be subjected to some pretty wicked things out there. Even door knocking, you're going to be confronted with some some weird things, you know. I remember so went in with my daughter, and uh, I started giving the gospel to this guy, and it was like probably like 
10 minutes into our conversation where I realized this guy had like beer cans all over the place and heavy metal music playing in the background. He's got a shirt off with tattoos all over and cigarette going, smoke and all that kind of stuff. And I'm preaching to him and it was like, it was like a, probably about 10, 15 minutes. It dawned on me. I'm like, I've got my daughter with me. And, you know, you grow up in an independent fundamental Baptist church, church and, and, and live that lifestyle and you shelter your kids and you're like, I don't want them to see this. But I remember walking away from that thinking, yes, they, they need to see the world. They need to see the wickedness of the world. They need to see what that looks like. And it's not glorified. It's not, it's not a good thing to, to, to look at. And so, you know, she just kind of kept her eyes down and, and tried not to. And, and, but it, she took that in. She learned that. We live in a world where we're going to see wickedness all the time. But can you imagine living in a household where there's people constantly in and out of your house who are just wicked? Maybe you go to work and just constantly you're bombarded. Some of you guys, you don't have a choice but to live in that to some degree. But when you, you can't go home and just like be spiritually refreshed, you don't have a church home. Some people live in a situation, they pick a job because they want lots of money and they're never around God's people. And all they have every day of their life is just wicked filth. And it's just like their righteous soul because they're saved. But their righteous soul is just vexed daily with the, with the wickedness of this world. You know what? I think I'll wait for paradise in heaven <laughs> rather than choosing, you know, to just sacrifice my kids and sacrifice my family for a, a physical paradise on earth. You know, Abraham lived in tents and the whole time Lot was with him. Apparently Lot was in tents as well. And I kind of picture in my mind that he looks at that city and says, you know, I could live in a house that actually has doors. And you know what he did? He lived in a house that actually had doors. Look at Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom and even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, uh, seeing them, arose up to meet him, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. It seems like a different than their interaction with Abraham where it's just like, hey, you know, we're interacting and we're having a good conversation with Lot. You almost get the sense that the angel is like, no, I don't even want to go in your house. I've been sent here to take you out of this land, but I don't even really want to. <laughs> That's just what I, what I picture. Uh, but he says, nay, we'll stay in the streets all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake bread, uh, unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called on Lot and said unto him, uh, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them unto us that we may uh, know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them. And shut the door after them and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. And we all know the story. We all know everything that follows. But I want you to see there. He's got doors. He's got an actual house. He doesn't have to live in tents anymore. Like, you really want to live in that situation? Where all your neighbors busting down your house. And, and you know, uh, for the sake of time, I won't go there. But he goes to the, the angels say, hey, you got anybody else around here besides these uh, that are in your house? And he says, hey, I've got my. Uh, my sons-in-law over here, and he goes and tries to talk to his sons-in-law, and they're like laughing and mocking at him. And so he only ends up leaving with his wife and his two daughters that are uh, that are with him in the house there. And and whenever they they leave, because his angels are like dragging them away because they keep hesitating, so they're like dragging them out of that city, and they leave. And his wife, right, 
His wife's caught up with the things of the world. She's got a worldly mind. Uh, I'm so glad that I got a wife who's godly, who thinks uh, godly things and, uh, and isn't just, just consumed with the things of this world. You know, because a lot of guys aren't so fortunate. Their wives, all they think about is the carnal, and they want the things of the world, and they want paradise on earth. And, uh, and here he's trying to go away, and his wife looks back, right? And God judges her. She becomes a pillar of salt. And you know how that story goes. But he ends up with only his two daughters, and he's in a cave. And you know the rest of the story. Uh, they, they just think that, you know, what are we going to do? We don't, how are we going to have children and do all this kind of stuff? And, and uh, what a terrible situation. Lot loses his wife, his sons-in-laws, maybe other daughters, depending on how you uh, translate that passage there, interpret that passage. He lost all of his family in paradise. It's not worth it to me. When man got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God's like, hey, you're not going to have paradise. (laughs) You know, but you can keep following me and you can stay laying up your treasures in heaven and one day you'll have paradise. But if you try to live on this earth and make earth paradise and make this the place that you want to live, you're probably not going to enjoy it, first of all, because your soul is going to be vexed every day. You're not going to have the spiritual blessings. And then finally, you're not laying up treasures in heaven. So, you know, the guys that are really going to be blessed are the ones who in this life were like Abraham and said, you know what? I don't really care. Which way do you want? (laughs) Which land do you want? I'm not greedy. I'm not covetous. And he was just more concerned about the things of the Lord and walking in faith and trusting in God for his needs. So we need to choose the paradise that Abraham chose. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll help our, our, uh, our wicked flesh. We all get in the flesh and we all struggle with the, with the flesh. And it fights against the spirit. But I pray, Lord, that you'll keep us from... Uh, that flesh just coveting, desiring the things of this world to the point that we stop serving you, stop giving you our all, stop uh, seeking your will in our lives, and we start going after the worldly things. And I pray that you help us to uh, realize from this story and from the testimony of people around us who live for you that what a, a much better life we're going to have, this temporarily temporary life that we live in, if we'll seek you and not be concerned about the things of this world. Lord, I pray you bless the message and you be glorified in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. 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 The Bible.